If you're a veteran in crisis or concerned about one who is, contact the Veteran Crisis Line to receive 24-7 confidential support. You don't have to be enrolled in VA benefits or healthcare to connect. To reach responders, dial 988, then press 1. Chat online at veteranscrisisline.net slash chat or text 838255. Hello and welcome to our first episode of New Horizons in Health, bringing veterans healthcare into the future. I'm your host, Dr. Sharif Elnahal, and I have the honor of serving veterans, caregivers, families, and survivors as Undersecretary for Health. In this podcast series, we will discuss cutting edge research and treatments happening right here at VA to advance care for veterans. To kick off the series, we will be discussing psychedelic assisted therapies. As part of our commitment to safely exploring all avenues that promote the health of our nation's veterans, VA conducts studies under stringent protocols at various facilities nationwide to identify if compounds such as MDMA and psilocybin can treat veterans with PTSD, treatment-resistant depressive disorder, major depressive disorder, and potentially other mental health conditions. I'm excited to be joined today by an esteemed panel of guests. But before I introduce them, I want to highlight a couple of different updates. It is September, which is Suicide Prevention Month. Remember that if you are a veteran in crisis or you know a veteran in crisis, please dial 988 and press 1, and you will be directed to our Veterans Crisis Line, which has a trained professional on the other end of the line that can help you through that crisis and get you the care that you need. I also want to offer a trigger warning to any veteran with PTSD or a condition that may otherwise trigger them with a tough situation that they experienced during their service or their deployment. We'll be having a very sensitive conversation today, and I want to make sure everyone is aware of that. So with me here in the studio are Jonathan Lubecki, a Marine and Army veteran, Dr. Ilsa Weekers, the Deputy Executive Director of VA's Office of Mental Health and Suicide Prevention, and joining us on the line is Dr. Joshua Woodley, one of our leading researchers on psilocybin-assisted therapies in San Francisco. Welcome to you all, and thank you so much for helping me launch this new podcast with this important and timely conversation. Jonathan, for the veterans watching, I would like to start off with a little bit about your experience with MDMA-assisted therapy. But before we do that, just tell us a little bit about yourself, how you've served, where you served, and then go into what the therapy was like for you. So uh, right out of high school, I joined the Marine Corps, did four years uh, as a loadmaster on C-130s, traveled around the world, had, had honestly a great time, and then did my four years, got out, got married, and then I watched the Twin Towers come down. Uh, and I decided to go back in, so I joined the North Carolina Army National Guard and deployed to Iraq in 2005, returning back November 22nd, uh, 2006. While I was over there, due to my experiences, I came home with crippling PTSD. I didn't really realize it or how bad it was until after I got home. You know, I'd be laying on my couch asleep and, and hear mortars or, or rockets coming in, things like that. And within two months of returning, um, in the early hours of, of Christmas morning, uh, I went to a church for midnight mass because I was sitting in a bar and that wasn't the best place for me. I was turned away. 
I then went to an Army Medical Center in North Carolina, was, to, <laughs> was given some medication, told to give my neighbors the guns, and sent home and told to come back after the holidays. So I went home and I drank a fifth of vodka, loaded on nine millimeter, put it to my temple, and I pulled the trigger. That was the first of five attempts that I, I made to take my life. And that doesn't include the hundreds of times I, I thought about it or stood on a bridge or had a plan. Um, after my final suicide attempt in Charleston, South Carolina uh, in November of 2013, one of the things before I was released from the hospital, the VA said, hey, what can we do for you? What can we do different? to make sure this doesn't happen. And one of the things I said, I desperately needed weekly counseling mm -hmm. every week without fail. And that, that actually was working well. I was on about 42 pills a day for various things. And one week went, my psychiatrist couldn't meet with me because uh, there was an issue on the inpatient floor, which I understand, you know. She's like, hey, if you need medication refills, sit with my intern, you can pick them up at the pharmacy. Otherwise, can we just go with next week? I said, I do need meds, went and sat with the intern. It's one of the best decisions I've ever made because that intern from the Medical University of South Carolina um, was aware of the research being conducted in Charleston and slid this piece of paper across the desk and said, don't open this till after you leave the VA because I don't know if I'm supposed to tell you about this. Mm -hmm. And I did, and I opened it up, and it said, Google MDMA PTSD. Uh, and that's how I found out about it. And after, you know, trying to take my life that many times, I didn't really have many options. Nothing was working. Um, so I contacted MAPS, the Multidisciplinary Association for Psychedelic Studies, the people conducting the trial, told them about me. Fortunately, an individual dropped out of the trial because they felt healed and didn't feel they needed all three of them. Mm -hmm. So they were able to expand the trial by one person to include me. Uh, that was nine years ago. Interestingly enough, I, I took my first dose of MDMA on November 22nd, 2014, exactly eight years after I came back from Iraq, which I didn't realize till years later, actually. But it's been nine years now, and I've honestly been PTSD-free longer than I had it. It's really an incredible outcome. Tell me about your experience during the therapy. What did it feel like? Uh, how did it help you get over your PTSD? So it, it's not just like one therapy session, it, it, it's a protocol. There, there's 12, they call them integration sessions. They're, they're 90 minute, just regular talk therapy sessions like when you normally go talk to a therapist. Mm -hmm. um, and then you have, so you do three of those and then you do an eight hour session under the influence of MDMA. Mm -hmm. And then you do three more 90 minute until you've completed the protocol and you'll do three doses of MDMA and I'll be clear I've taken MDMA three times in my life mm -hmm. nine years ago as part of the trial I haven't taken it since and I haven't felt the need to mm -hmm. um, but the integration sessions honestly they're like any other therapy session you're talking about issues the MDMA session is, is, is a bit different you show up they give it to you it's kind of funny, I was under the impression that it would like, for some reason, kick in kind of instantly, a lot based on media and, and, and things like that, how they portray psychedelics. Um, so about 20 minutes in, I'm like, well, this sucks, I guess I got the placebo. Uh, but it kicked in at about 40 minutes. And the best way to describe this is, it's like doing therapy while being hugged by everyone who loves you in a bathtub full of puppies licking your face. Um, and the thing is, the medicine, the MDMA, isn't what fixes you. Mm -hmm. um, 
you know, I, bef bef before we started recording, I told you I had uh, back surgery three weeks ago. Yeah. They gave me very powerful drugs as anesthesia to knock me out so the surgeon could actually go in and do the work. This is very similar. The MDMA is a tool that, that opens up the mind, body, and spirit to the place it can be so that you can heal and process all those memories and all the things, trauma, that, that are causing you issues. Um, without it, people with PTSD, you, uh, you know, they have issues with trust. They have issues, you know, they don't want to talk about it. They also either shut down emotionally and can't process, or they become hyper-emotional and can't process. So the MDMA puts you in this, this middle ground where, where you, you stay in a place where you can talk about trauma without having panic attacks, without your body betraying you, mm -hmm. and look at it from a different perspective and, and come to understandings you know, a, a, as far as how other people who are no longer here may feel about a situation, looking at whose fault it really was, that, you know, as veterans, we don't make the decision to go to war. That's right. We just, we, we go and, and, you know, we're put in a bad position <laughs> that, that lends us to being traumatized. That's not our fault. Um, but you do eight hours of therapy. And, and it, while doing it, you'll talk for a while, and then you'll put on eye shades, and you'll, they call it introspection. You'll, you'll basically think about all the things you just talked about in your own head. Mm -hmm. um, and then the, the two specially trained therapists, one of them will kind of say, hey, why don't you take the eye shades off? And then you, you'll continue on. And it, you go talk introspection, talk introspection, until honestly the medication wears off. But it was truly amazing, you know, they asked me a kindergarten question to start the therapy. You know, what was the weather like? You know, I get, anybody can answer that. You know, what's the food like? Those are the questions kindergartners ask. Um, and I just started talking for the first time. Mm -hmm. um, for the first time in eight years. And I went in thinking that I was going to heal the trauma from Iraq. I was also um, abused as a child and, you know, my wife left me while I was in Iraq. So honestly, I, I dealt with all the trauma in my entire life, from childhood all the way up through, through, through Iraq, and even you know, coming back to society after I got home. Um, and I don't know the first night I didn't have nightmares. I know the first night I remember not having nightmares. I don't remember the first day that I didn't think of suicide, but I remember the first day I realized I didn't. Yeah. And that was an amazing day. And, I, and over the past nine years, I haven't thought of suicide once at all. And, I, and this was a constant daily occurrence for me for eight years. And it's not like I've gone and sat in an office either. Um, in the past nine years, had a uh, landscaper drown in the lake behind my house, dove in, pulled him out, did CPR for 20 minutes till wow. EMS arrived. Incredible. Um, Unfortunately, he didn't make it, not because of anything I did. Uh, about a year after that, there was a gentleman who was shot in a, a bicycle by shooting, which I thought I'd never see after I left Iraq, but hey, there, we, there it was in Charleston. Rendered aid. Um, unfortunately, he didn't make it either. Um, my son was life flighted by the Coast Guard off a cruise ship, and I thought he died in my arms um, due to a medical condition. He's perfectly fine, survived. Um, I didn't have PTSD after any of those incidents. Mm -hmm. 
And so now over the past year and a half, I've gone to Ukraine four times to provide humanitarian aid, um, and to, up to and including going to the front lines. And when you can sit in Kyiv and hear the same, same air raid sirens you heard in Iraq, the same sirens that, that would have not just sent me into a panic attack, but destroyed a month of my life, mm -hmm. just from hearing that noise, to hear that go off in Kyiv, and when the explosions are done, roll over and go back to sleep. It, it, it's truly a miracle. And it do, this doesn't work for everyone. And there's a lot of, of, of new treatments available, um, but this is something that definitely should be on the table. But again, it's not the MDMA that fixes you. It's actually the therapy. It's the therapist working with you and you doing the hard work. The therapy, like I said, it just puts, or, or the medicine just puts the mind, body, and spirit in the place it needs to be so we can fix, so, so the problem can be fixed, just like anesthesia. Well, Jonathan, your service to the country in uniform, but also your continued service with the examples you mentioned, just truly remarkable. And I appreciate you having the courage to reiterate some of those experiences. I know that that can be a tough thing to do for a lot of veterans. I want to move to uh, Dr. Woolley to ask about the research more generally. So Dr. Woolley, how far along is the research in MDMA and psilocybin-assisted psychotherapy, which we haven't talked about yet? And what does the data look like so far on how effective it is? Well, uh, um, thank you for having me here. And uh, Mr. Rebecca, thank you for sharing that story. That's very compelling. And, and it, it really does highlight where we are at with the, with the research. There, there have been um, large, what are called pivotal, pivotal trials conducted, both for MDMA psychotherapy and psilocybin psychotherapy. Um, and those have shown very promising results uh, for PTSD and for depression. There have also been studies for substance use disorder with psilocybin. And in in these clinical trials, which which are sort of ideal conditions, right? Like it's it's really focused, and and a lot of attention is paid to making sure that the people in the study have the specific disorder that you're looking at, and not other things. In those studies, the effects are quite dramatic. People. Well, like Mr. Lubecki's story, they, uh, you know, PTSD symptoms can go away for months or or even years after you know one or a few treatments, and so there's a lot of excitement about this. Yeah, you know, your uh, comments about how populations of veterans are experiencing this in the clinical trial setting is really important. I want to move to Dr. Weekers for the next question. Uh, one of our national leaders in the Office of Mental Health and Suicide Prevention as well. So Dr. Weekers, tell us how important, you know, Jonathan alluded to this, but tell us how important the psychotherapy part of all of this is and how does it help uh, make sure veterans get the outcomes that Jonathan did? Yeah, well, I, that, I think that Jonathan hit the nail on the head. I mean, it is essential. The psychotherapy piece is the essential piece of this. Um, the medications, the psychedelics that we've, uh, that folks like Dr. Woolley have been studying and others across the, the country and the world, really, um, they open doors uh, and allow us a window of opportunity, like you, you spoke of, to really um, do the work, um, to process the different feelings and thoughts that come up uh, during that psychedelic experience that's, uh, that occurs around the dosing time um, in the protocol. And yeah, I mean, the, the psychotherapy piece is, is kind of the cornerstone. Uh, so it really needs to be a combination of uh, the medication and, and the th psychotherapy together uh, to ensure uh, great success like, like Jonathan has had.
Yeah, which also implies that you really need to be under the care of a licensed professional to get the full scope of therapy and the benefits that we're seeing in the research that Dr. Woolley mentioned. So I appreciate you commenting on that. Jonathan, let's go back to you. You know, you described your service, the fact that you came home, you know, you started to experience PTSD sometime after you came home. You know, you weren't expecting it. And then you attempted to get uh, some therapy for PTSD before the clinical trial with MDMA. And so can you describe your previous attempts in a little bit more detail and how that contrasted with what MDMA-assisted psychotherapy did for you? Yeah, absolutely. So um, I, I, I got my care at the VA and, and you know, I, I, I genuinely feel for, for the doctors that I had because, you know, they were limited in, in, in what they had. Um, so I was on a lot of different medications um, for mental health, for anxiety, for, for sleep, for, for nightmares, for, for depression, for this, for that, uh, including physical injuries. At one point I was on 42 separate pills a day. Um, they also tried uh, you know, cognitive behavioral therapy, prolonged exposure therapy. Mm -hmm. uh, the CBT, I had issues with, with memory and writing down the stuff in the little notepad and I just forget to do it. The exposure therapy was too traumatic. Um, and a lot of talk therapy, but the therapy was mostly focused on triage. He's here this week. What happened this week? What can we do to make sure he's here next week? Because, you know, unfortunately, when it comes to a lot of health conditions, there aren't a lot that where you can you can manage symptoms. You know, if you have diabetes, you can you can type two diabetes, you can live a very long, healthy life and manage it with medications and, and other things, diet change, et cetera. Mm -hmm. It's rare that we can talk about completely healing something, yeah. anything, whether it's PTSD or anything else. And, and they tried everything um, and, and nothing worked in part because I would never, you know, one of the problems with traditional therapy is it's the 50 minute therapist hour. Before, before I felt comfortable enough to open up and talk about anything traumatic, I'd hear these magic words. Well, that's all the time we have for this week. We'll take it up there next week. Mm -hmm. And it never gets taken up that next week. And, and so all my doctors were sitting there wondering when they were gonna get a call that I wasn't gonna be there. Um, I had to go off my medications in order to participate in the trial. Um, I've never gone back on them. And it's been nine years. Um, so, they, and, and here's the thing, that is not to say that, that, that sertraline doesn't help people. That is not to say that, that you know, uh, the subganglial block does not help people. That's not to say CBT and prolonged exposure don't help people. They absolutely do. And this is where, you know, a lot of times in medicine, we, we look at, okay, this person weighs this much, they get this much, it'll have this effect on the body, et cetera, et cetera. And that works great for, for acute care, you know, if you have strep throat and you need antibiotics, something like that. But when it comes to mental health, all options need to be on the table. That's right. And, and what works for me may not work for someone else. Mm -hmm. um, even if you, you look at the results of the trial, 88% um, of people had, had reduction in symptoms, 67% no longer had PTSD, but that that number does mean 12% had no effect. And rough math, 33% um, still had some form of PTSD. Um, but I, I am very glad the VA is looking at this because 
I work with a lot of organizations that, that do a lot to, to help support these trials. Um, some people send, uh, send people out of the country to places where it's legal to receive this treatment. There are millions of veterans with PTSD. The only way that they can receive the same high quality treatment with, with medicine manufactured to actual medicinal standards is if it's done through the VA. It is the only entity that has the ability to scale to treat every veteran. And one thing, although this is a, a VA show, there's always arguments over is it 17, 22, 44 a day. I use the number 136. That's the number of Americans who committed suicide mm. each day last year, mm. including veterans. And you know, to quote a, a good friend of mine, Alan Chesser, um, who, who I served with in Iraq uh, when he was asked about this, he's, he's an evangelical Christian, um, very conservative Republican House member in, in uh, North Carolina. He said, I have two case studies. One, he pointed over at me, he goes, and the other one's an obituary in my pocket. We genuinely have the ability to, to make a serious dent in the suicide epidemic that is affecting not only the veteran community, but other communities as well, to include just the American population. And this is, I, I've used psychedelics treatment, honestly, in, in, you know, in a medical environment with specially trained people, with, with pure substances as groundbreaking as, as antibiotics mm -hmm. or as vaccines. The, this, this will change mental health for humanity forever. Well, it's just incredible insight and appreciate you mentioning that VA is trying to lead on this because that's exactly what Dr. Woolley, Dr. Weekers, and so many researchers across the country are doing right now. And I do wanna reemphasize something you said around veterans who may be not in these trials yet, but undergoing a course of therapy in the VA or outside of the VA. These are still evidence-based therapies. It's important to try and complete the therapy. Uh, and if and when this becomes available, VA will be able to scale it, I think, better than any other healthcare system because of our focus particularly on veterans. So thank you so much for that perspective. Really, really helpful. Let's move to Dr. Woolley. So how do you ensure the safety of the veteran during all of this in the clinical trial setting. You know, there are some risks to the MDMA drug itself and the intersection with, with psychotherapy. And so how do you manage expected side effects and monitor veterans during the therapy? Great question. Uh, Jonathan's already mentioned some of the things. So uh, in the trials, a lot goes into making sure that, um, you know, the screening of the, of the participants. So, you know, making sure about the medical background, uh, cardiac uh, functioning, blood pressure, things like that. Uh, both psilocybin and MDMA can uh, increase blood pressure and have other effects. And so, um, you know, a lot, of, a lot of effort goes into making sure it's safe for this particular person to take the drug at the doses that the, the, the intervention requires. Uh, then once someone's in the trial, we and others think that the psychotherapy that we've been talking about is so critical for safety. Uh, that, that's the most important aspect, right? Uh, that you know, having someone or, or two people who are experienced working with these compounds, experienced working with uh, you know, severe mental illness and suicidality and trauma is really critical because we know that out in, out in the community, if people use these drugs, it, it doesn't 
necessarily help them. So, and sometimes it can really harm them. People can have you know scary experiences or or other kinds of experiences. And so, again, this combination treatment that we've been talking about seems to be critical for keeping people safe. Um, in the trials, there's also medical monitoring, blood pressure monitoring, um, things like that. And that's also really important. Um, and so I think, you know, going forward, figuring out how we can go from these clinical trials to more um, implementation, effectiveness uh, studies, where we, we actually have it done, not, not within this pristine kind of uh, clinical trial format, but in a bigger, you know, within the VA framework, I think is really important. Yeah, really helpful to allow our listeners to understand what the risks are and how we really try our best to manage them with all of this. And I'll ask a similar question of you, Dr. Weekers. What risks would you highlight to listeners who may be considering self-medicating uh, with recreational MDMA or psilocybin? What makes the regimen that we are researching safer than that? I think uh, Jonathan alluded to this, and that is that uh, in one of our research uh, studies, we can guarantee a high-quality pharmaceutical-grade medication is being delivered, um, and you can't uh, when you're uh, using recreationally or finding something on the street. So you just don't know what you're taking and what's in that pill. Um, and so that's a risk that, uh, that I hope will cause people some pause uh, and, uh, and have them think again about maybe seeking out a more safe, and as uh, Dr. Woolley alluded to in these trials, we have medical monitoring, we have a good screening process in place, and without having that proper medical and psychiatric screening done in advance, um, we don't really know if taking the medication, whatever it may be, if it's a recreational dose of something, um, if that's gonna be safe for you. Uh, so would really encourage people to think about that risk of not knowing what's in the pill, uh, of not really having the medical clearance or the kind of monitoring and the safety. And then uh, again, just to emphasize the thing everyone's been saying, the psychotherapy is key. So just taking the pill recreationally is not going to get you the benefit you hope it is. If you aren't going to be doing the work, um, the hard work that Jonathan did and others in these trials have been doing and that we know kind of wraps people around uh, and gives them that support that they need to process through all of the trauma and the other things that they're dealing with. Yeah. Can you talk about what we're seeing now with recreational drugs laced with fentanyl? And do you think that's a risk in particular uh, with accessing these psychedelics uh, recreationally? I think drugs laced with anything are a risk, uh, and fentanyl in particular being one of the most uh, dangerous in terms of causing overdose death rather uh, significantly. Uh, I think there's just an enormous amount of, of uncertain product out there in the world, uh, and it would cause me great pause for sure, and hopefully others as well. Um, I would hate to see someone think that they're taking something that would help their mental health and then uh, unintentionally die of overdose. That would be devastating and a terrible outcome for sure. Yeah, God forbid. And so uh, tell me about whether you think there are veterans who shouldn't participate in this research due to underlying health concerns that may increase the risk. Are you aware of groups of veterans like that? Well, I think um, uh, Dr. Woolley alluded a little bit to the blood pressure issues, and so we certainly look a little more closely and carefully monitor folks who have a history of hypertension. Um, doesn't necessarily exclude outright, uh, but it, it's something to take into consideration. So some of those cardiovascular and neurovascular risk factors are ones that we kind of think about more, we're a little more tuned into when we're um, screening people for trials. 
The other um, things that I would consider is that uh, we don't necessarily want someone who's in an acute um, crisis mm -hmm. uh, to be enrolled in one of these trials. Uh, if they're requiring an inpatient level of care, uh, this is not the right treatment today. Mm -hmm. um, it might be at another point when you're a little more stabilized and, and, uh, and able to kind of continue in an outpatient setting. Um, and then the other thing that I would consider is that you want to make sure people have some uh, social support and structure around them to support them during the time that they'd be doing one of these trials. So folks maybe who are experiencing homelessness or really struggling with uh, psychosocial stressors, we'd want them to first access VA resources to address those needs and then uh, consider once those have sort of stabilized uh, uh, enrollment in one of the trials we may have going. Yeah, makes sense and really helpful information. So. Dr. Woolley, back to you. What are some of the important unanswered questions about MDMA and psilocybin-assisted psychotherapy in the research right now? What needs to be answered in the research? So, as I said, there have been these you know, very promising trials, but still the, the number of people who've actually completed are you know, not a huge number. So we need we need more research on this, and specifically we need studies that are focused on veterans. And, um, as Jonathan, Jonathan said, you know the study he participated in was not focused on veterans, though it included some veterans. Um, but a study that is focused on veterans and you know within the VA system using VA providers, so within our um, ecosystem, I think is is critical next step. Uh, there are other questions that are also uh, sort of unanswered. Uh, kind of these questions you're asking about who shouldn't participate, you know, other comorbid conditions as well as um, other formats. The, there are lots of questions about, you know, who who it's safe for, who it will be effective for, how to optimize it. You know, is three dosings, like Jonathan described, the best way to do it, or should it be, you know, two dosings and then one dosing every, every year? year. You know, there, there, are, there are a lot of questions about what might work best um, for different people. Also, these questions about the two different uh, drugs that you mentioned. Um, psilocybin has been studied for depression, and MDMA has been studied for PTSD for the most part, but that doesn't mean that they might not work for the others, and you know we we don't know the we don't know uh, we just haven't looked. No one's looked yet. There are also questions about um, uh, uh, you know the, the the actual study designs. There's this question about masking. Uh, you know, Jonathan also mentioned that he, he you know he's like oh I I think maybe I got the placebo, and then oh no no I didn't I got the active, and um, that is typical in these trials that people know. <laughs> Right? You know if you're tripping or not. And this has been a major challenge in the field be because, you know, people have strong ideas about whether or not these treatments, well, the strong ideas that they're going to work. And so if you know that you're in the active condition, that can lead to a self-fulfilling prophecy. I'm not saying that that is explaining all of these effects, but there is... Um, a need for uh, different trial designs or or pragmatic trials where you actually compare the treatments to uh, evidence-based treatments that we already have to see what is the added benefit. Jonathan's story, again, is very compelling for it, it being much better than the treatments that we have, but we haven't rigorously tested that or looked at it. There's also a whole question about uh, can these drugs and these approaches be used to augment other things that we know work? Um, like prolonged exposure therapy. There's beginning to be work trying to see if like MDMA can be used to accelerate 
the process that happens in exposure therapy. So, that, so there's just lots of different questions that we have that, that still need to be answered. We're, we're still at the early days. Yeah, great. And so uh, as with most of our researchers who are really at the top of their game, uh, you have 10 scientific questions in your head that you aren't even researching yet. And so uh, my question to you is, how, how, can you, how do you hold my feet to the fire to help you and researchers across the country get these question ans questions answered? You know, what can I do to better support the research infrastructure? Uh, and what am I not even thinking about to better support more research into this really promising area? Well, um, I love working at the VA. I've worked at the VA for almost 20 years. And, you know, the, the fact that the VA focuses kind of across all of the issues that, that veterans um, are grappling with, including developing new treatments to give to the veterans within the VA system. I, I think that's a major strength of, of the, 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 uh, the VA. And I think we need more research funded by the VA, done by the VA on these treatments. Um, and, you know, there's beginning to be a little bit of that. And I think more of that is, is what's really necessary to really move the needle to, to bring um, the safest, most effective treatments to our veterans. Well, thank you. And clearly, we have a lot of work to do to get the research even more robust uh, on this area. So appreciate those comments, Dr. Woolley. Dr. Weekers, tell us about what needs to happen with the FDA, with regulatory agencies. Uh, after we have some of these really important scientific questions answered, what needs to happen next to actually make this therapy available to veterans across the country? Yeah. Um, so the FDA process for approval of new drugs, um, essentially the, um, the different groups that have things in the pipeline currently include MDMA and, and psilocybin. Um, when their research trials are completed, they will submit a packet uh, with all of the data um, and all of the summary of, of findings to the FDA. And then the FDA will impanel a work group of experts from around the country outside of FDA. Uh, and those experts will review all of the data with going over it with a fine tooth comb, having conversations and discussions together, and then they'll make a recommendation to the FDA about whether or not uh, they believe the evidence has been presented um, in a manner that supports approval for a particular indication for use. Um, so that's a recommendation made by the panel to the FDA. Then the FDA makes the final determination. Um, after that determination is made, then FDA usually provides additional direction and guidance um, for medications like MDMA or psilocybin. They will likely also include safety monitoring requirements um, that would be part and parcel with uh, allowing uh, prescription and use uh, in a clinical setting. Um, and then following that FDA approval would also uh, be necessary a DEA reclassification. So right now, um, all of the psychedelic agents are con considered a, um, a, a class one uh, controlled substance, um, and so a schedule one uh, controlled substance, and they would, which means essentially no approved medical use and high abuse potential. Mm -hmm. um, so those would have to be uh, through DEA regulatory processes uh, changed out of Schedule 1 and into one of the other schedules with higher numbers, Schedule 2, 3, 4, 5. Uh, the higher the number, the less abuse potential. Mm -hmm. um, and that would allow for clinical use of, of the medication then uh, thereafter. So those are some of the steps kind of coming down the pike uh, for, for FDA approval and DEA regulatory changes. Um, once the 
packet is received uh, by FDA, it's usually weeks to months uh, for that work group process to, to take shape and, and play out. But, uh, you know, we're anticipating things like that could be happening very soon um, based on some of the, the study uh, information that's coming out. Yeah. Well, clearly a lot of steps in the process, and we hope they proceed as swiftly as possible and that we get the scientific answers we need as swiftly as possible. So appreciate that summary. Jonathan, I'll end uh, with you here. I just want to get your sense, since you've been such an effective uh, national advocate about this, you know, you've gone through it yourself, you've developed a really uh, sophisticated knowledge about this promising area. How do we talk about this to veterans uh, now in this, you know, time when we're still researching the therapy? How do we talk about its potential uh, in a way that would most benefit the veteran community? Well, one, honestly, just talking about, hey, we are doing this and, and getting that out there. There's, you know, I, I guarantee you there will be hundreds, if not thousands of veterans that after watching this broadcast uh, will learn for the first time about this. Um, and, and I think the fact that, that the VA is looking into it is important. Also, it's exceptionally important that, that you know, people understand if you go to a party and you're offered these substances, that is not this. You know, I, I, if, if I was rolled into that surgical suite when I, when I had my back surgery and they just gave me the anesthesia, I would have woken up and I would have still had a back problem. Yeah. Um, this, this is something very different. And, you know, going back to that surgery, the VA is very capable of, of, of handling all those very powerful anesthesia and all of that you have specially trained people i have i have full faith and confidence that the va you know can conduct the research and handle the, these compounds properly but also there's a lot of stigma attached with psychedelics um you know a lot of this comes from a from a different time uh you know and and some of it involves the anti-war movement and none of that had none of the politics of this has anything to do with whether it works or not mm -hmm. that comes down to to just straight straight science and and, and these things do work the, these me going through through that therapy and trial nine years ago is the sole reason that my son has a father instead of a folded flag and if you're not willing to at least allow people to to research this and come up with an answer then, then you're sentencing more sons and more daughters and more spouses to being handed a folded flag over at Arlington. And, and that is something that, that we need to stop. And I will be the first one to say, if all this research is conducted by the VA and it comes out and, and it says, hey, this substance is not good for this, this condition or that substance is not good for that condition or this substance is just too dangerous, I will accept that because the research has been done you know, in an impartial manner, and that was the results of the research. All I've ever asked for for nine years is researching. Yeah. Well, listen, Jonathan, I can't tell you how grateful I am for coming on, telling your story, delivering this critical message to our veteran listeners, families, caregivers, and, you know, it just means so much that you'd come and talk to us about this. And, you know, Dr. Woolley, Dr. Weekers, uh, the fact that you're uh, in a position to have VA lead on this effort as Jonathan is asking us to do, knowing that we have you know, so many incredible uh, research centers across the country, affiliations with some of the best uh, medical schools and academic institutions. I am just so excited about the potential of these treatments, getting these scientific questions answered, 
and if the science supports it, bringing the best and most innovative therapies to veterans across the country. And so this has been a very, very insightful conversation. Thank you all for listening and stay tuned uh, for the next episode of our podcast. And I really appreciate that you took the time to listen and watch. Take care.